We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Away we go, episode 20 of the Al Goldie Podcast. It is Thursday, March 18th, 2021. It is a third consecutive day on which we have nighttime free agency news regarding the Washington football team. Yes, the streak continues. This is becoming like the Ryan Kerrigan consecutive game streak. Every night we're having news. I don't know why it is that Ron Rivera and his crew, that Don Ron and his capos are making the team's big splashes at night. But whatever, Washington is making big moves. Monday night, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Tuesday night, William Jackson III. Wednesday night, Curtis Samuel. Not as late as the Fitzpatrick and Jackson news. The Samuel news broke right around 8 o'clock. But still, I think we can qualify this as another installment of Late Night with Ron Rivera. In fact, can we get a little late night music for old Don Ron and the boys? 
Yes, there we go. There we go. I love it. I love it. Don Ron in full effect. Late night with Ron Rivera has become a thing in this week one of NFL free agency in the 2021 offseason. Anyway, good to have you with us on another news-breaking day in the nation's capital. The NFL's new league year has begun, officially got going on Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. St. Patrick's Day, appropriately enough. A day of green, and the green be flowing in the NFL. I will go in-depth on Washington getting Curtis Samuel coming up in just a bit. Got lots more for you on this installment of the Al Goldie podcast on William Jackson, including why this whole thing of... Well, he's a man coverage corner, and Washington played a bunch of zone last season, and this isn't a good fit, and oh golly gee, what are we going to do? Stop worrying, stop worrying, as the Don himself would say. You can act like a man! What's the matter with you? Yes, thank you, Don. Thank you very much. I I will address this concern of, is William Jackson a fit for what Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio like to do defensively? Uh, Also, there's been other news for the Washington football team over the last 24 hours, including Nick Sundberg uh, getting whacked by Don Ron. Don Ron is continuing this baptism of fire, and a longtime long snapper now is going gonzo. Uh, also, guess who got paid? Yes, our old friend, our old pal, Trent Williams, a mega contract to re-sign with Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers. I got some things to say about that. I'll also talk some Wizards, uh, another loss for them, and some Orioles as well. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. So have you been following this Deshaun Watson situation? You know, with all this free agency stuff going on, it's easy to kind of lose sight of what is maybe a mega scandal that's emerging here with one of the NFL's most high-profile guys, and of course, a guy who's been in the news a ton already this offseason. But it turns out that two civil lawsuits have been filed against Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson, alleging inappropriate conduct during massages on two separate occasions by two separate plaintiffs. The first lawsuit was filed on Tuesday night, alleges inappropriate conduct in a massage therapist's home in Houston in March 2020. The second lawsuit was filed on Wednesday. That alleged incident occurred August 28, 2020. Now, no one went to the police. No one filed criminal charges. So we just don't know. You know, this is one of these deals where the accusers are saying one thing, Deshaun Watson for now is saying another thing, and we just have no idea how true any of this stuff is. It is worth noting, though, that Tony Busby, an attorney working against Deshaun Watson here, has put out a statement on Instagram saying that eventually there will be six lawsuits being filed. So apparently, we're just beginning. We're just getting going when it comes to these allegations against Deshaun Watson. And I bring this up really for a couple of reasons. So number one, and I heard this yesterday, and I mean, who knows how true anything is anymore, right? But there actually is a theory that the Texans may be behind this to some extent, okay? That things have gotten so ugly and so dysfunctional and so toxic between Watson and the Texans and Deshaun wanting out and Deshaun apparently having this major problem with this high-level executive of the Houston Texans, Jack Easterby, that there are people who think the Texans maybe behind some of this. And not that like they have created all this, but maybe they're helping to push this along. I don't know. I don't know. Like, again, people have all kinds of whacked out theories these days. But with how ridiculous the Texans-Watson situation has been and how just apparently bizarre the Texans have become. I mean, Houston has done some weird stuff over the last few years. And that's part of why Deshaun Watson wants out. See the DeAndre Hopkins trade. 
Uh, but yeah, could you imagine that? Like, we think things have gotten ugly with our team over the years. And, you know, obviously you have right now Dan Snyder alleging this smear campaign orchestrated, at least in part, by one of the minority owners in Dwight Shar. You know, Danny's now saying that Bruce Allen was a part of the smear campaign against Danny. You know, that, that, that may have nothing on this if it's true that the Texans are somehow pushing along these accusations against Deshaun Watson. But there's also this, because of course we've had the conversation of, well, can Washington, will Washington, should Washington trade for Deshaun Watson? And what would you be willing to give up for Deshaun Watson? You know, three first round picks, two second round picks, Chase Young, Montez Sweat. Who would you be willing to part ways with for Deshaun? And I've said it point blank. I would certainly do the RG3 trade for Deshaun Watson. I'm not interested in trading away Chase Young, Montez Sweat, or Terry McLaurin. But if you told me three ones, two twos for Deshaun, uh, yeah, I'd do that. I would do that. Now, can you imagine though, having done that, and then all this stuff comes out. Think about that for a moment, right? We, we have felt for years that there is this like black cloud perpetually hovering above us as Washington football team fans. Imagine for a moment, Washington actually made this trade, okay? That the deal went down and Washington gave up three first round picks, two second round picks, and say some player of consequence for Deshaun Watson, okay? You have pulled off the move. You have finally gotten yourself a franchise quarterback. Deshaun Watson, stud, great passer, excellent runner, mid-20s, under team control for years to come. What's not to like about Deshaun Watson? You give up the truckload of assets to get him, and then as your football team is in the midst of the sexual harassment scandal, as your football team is still awaiting the findings, we think, we don't know, boy, it's interesting how this has gone silent, right, of the Beth Wilkinson investigation, you get these allegations against Deshaun Watson and you've given up, you know, three ones, two twos, who knows which player. And now with your team having been investigated by Beth Wilkinson, with your team dealing with a sexual harassment scandal, you've got your newly acquired franchise quarterback being accused by multiple people in multiple separate incidents of inappropriate conduct. Could you imagine how we would be feeling, what we would be thinking if Washington had in fact pulled off that trade and this stuff was going down. So like, look, he may be totally innocent of all this stuff and this may end up being a nothing story. You just don't know, right? But think about that for a moment. Sometimes in sports, as is the case in life, the best moves you make are the ones you never make. And maybe, just maybe, as odd as it may sound, as great as he is as a player, Washington not trading for Deshaun Watson, apparently not even ever really being in on trading for Deshaun Watson, was the best course of action. All right, Curtis Samuel is coming to the nation's capital. So we expect to actually hear from some of the Washington football team's new players on Thursday. The Washington football team's media relations staff on Wednesday put out an email saying that there will be a media availability tentatively scheduled for Thursday between 3 and 4 in the afternoon with, as uh, the email puts it, select free agent signings. So, you know, Fitzpatrick, if he signs his deal on Thursday, Jackson, if he signs his deal on Thursday, can just step on to doing uh, Zoom press conferences and we can hear from them for the first time as Washington football team players. Will Curtis Samuel be at the team facility on Thursday to sign his contract? We do not know, but we do know that Samuel and the Washington football team have agreed on a deal. The unrestricted free agent Carolina Panthers receiver, as had been anticipated, is coming to Washington. And let's start with this. This is another contract that I love. We talked on Wednesday's podcast about the William Jackson, the third deal, and how that makes a lot of sense. Essentially, second-tier cornerback money for a guy who has demonstrated an ability to play 
at a top tier level. That's always what you want to try to do when you're uh, swimming in the deeper waters in NFL free agency, right? We've talked about this. You want to win the contracts. You want to try to pay for less than what you're going to actually get, right? Pay for B-level production when you end up getting A-level production, you know, that sort of a thing. And with Curtis Samuel, you've done a deal that, at least on the surface, and we don't have all the details yet, but at least on the surface, it's, you know, it's not some like mega money deal. And it's certainly a contract that Curtis Samuel is more than capable of living up to. It's been impossible to ignore what's gone on with receivers so far in free agency. It has been a depressed market, no doubt. Uh, and it's been depressed for a few reasons. Number one, salary cap has gone down. Number two, NFL teams uh, losing a lot of money this past season in terms of lost revenue. Not that teams uh, didn't make money because they almost always make money because of the television contracts, but uh, teams not raking in as much revenue as those teams are used to because of the pandemic. No fans at most games. You have a loaded free agent class in terms of receiver this offseason. So you have more supply than demand. And the upcoming draft is set to be loaded at receiver once again. This is going to be back-to-back NFL drafts uh, inundated with quality receivers. So there's that going on too. It's just, it's a, it's a bad time right now. If you're a free agent receiver, Kenny Galladay still out there. Juju Smith-Schuster still out there. Curtis Samuel though, no longer out there. The contract with Washington reportedly a three-year, $34.5 million deal. So you know, we don't have the uh, details as of yet in terms of like the guaranteed money, the structuring of the contract, all that stuff will come out. But just understand from an average annual value standpoint, AAV, three years, $34.5 million, that works out to $11.5 million per year. That's not even in the top 20 of receiver AAVs in the NFL right now per overthecap.com. So you've gotten Curtis Samuel for non-top 20 AAV money. I mean, that's a tremendous job. Curtis Samuel is not an elite receiver or anything like that. But, you know, free agency, we all know how it has gone in the past anyway. And that is a lot of the time you end up overpaying for people. You end up giving guys big money because the cap keeps going up. Players are out there, open market, bidding wars ensue, and you got to pay retail. Like, that's the way it works a lot of the time in free agency. Not this time it didn't. Three years, 34.5 million dollars. And do a quick compare and contrast. You know, we did this on a podcast on Wednesday, how the Ryan Fitzpatrick signing, whatever you want to say about Ryan Fitzpatrick, to me, it looks even better now, given that Andy Dalton essentially got the same deal from the Chicago Bears, and Tyrod Taylor, it seems, got at the very least a comparable deal from the Houston Texans. Would you rather have, just in, in, you know, in, in a one-season vacuum, Fitzpatrick, Dalton, or Tyrod Taylor? And the answer to me, it's not even a conversation, it's Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick's actually played at a high level over the last few years. So that contract looks even better now. We talked about William Jackson. Again, second-tier corner money for a guy who can play at a top-tier cornerback level. Here you have Curtis Samuel, $11.5 million AAV. The other major receiver free agent signing so far, the New York Jets agreeing on the deal with Corey Davis. That news broke on Monday night. Corey Davis from the Jets gets a three-year, $37.5 million deal. So more money for Corey Davis than what Washington is giving or at least can give to Curtis Samuel. Again, we don't know if the $34.5 million for Samuel, if that's just the max value or what exactly we're looking at, the details are to come. But, you know, Corey Davis, I know some of you guys like him. I've heard from some of you on him. I don't think like he's terrible or anything like that. But Corey Davis has been a bust. Let's be honest about this. He was taken by the Tennessee Titans, number five overall in the 2017 draft. He was largely a bust, okay? Titans didn't even pick up the fifth-year option in his rookie contract, he did have a good 2020. That is true. So I know some people have said, like, maybe he's figured it out. Maybe, okay, maybe. But, you know, normally it shouldn't take you until year four 
to figure stuff out. Like, it's also possible that he just benefited from playing on a good team, good offense, Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, etc. And, you know, Corey Davis maybe never gets close to playing at that level again. We'll see. But if you're asking me, would you rather have Curtis Samuel three years, $34.5 million, or Corey Davis three years, $37.5 million? My answer is Curtis Samuel. So there's another contract that Washington has done this offseason that you look at and you say, in comparison to what else is going on in the NFL, this looks like a good deal. There is a lot to like about Curtis Samuel. I advocated weeks ago for Washington to sign Curtis Samuel. And like I said, this has been anticipated that Washington would be in on Curtis Samuel. So first of all, he's young. 2021 season is going to be just his age 25 season. So you're not paying a guy in his 30s for what he did in his 20s. You're paying a guy in his 20s for what he's hopefully going to continue to do in his 20s. Curtis Samuel is someone who the Washington football team knows quite well. Carolina Panthers took Samuel in the second round of the 2017 draft. So Samuel, obviously familiar with Ron Rivera, right? He was Samuel's head coach for parts of three seasons, 2017 into 2019. Samuel, familiar with Washington's offensive coordinator, Scott Turner, who worked on that Panthers offensive staff in 2018-2019. And Samuel, also familiar with this guy, Jim Hustler, who has been promoted to senior offensive assistant for Washington this offseason. He had been Washington's receivers coach. He was a Carolina Panthers receivers coach in 2019. Curtis Samuel, as many of you know, is familiar with Terry McLaurin. They're buddies. Uh, they played collegiately at Ohio State. In fact, Samuel and McLaurin were a part of the same Buckeyes 2014 recruiting class. And McLaurin is like over the moon over Washington getting Curtis Samuel. McLaurin was tweeting up a storm on Wednesday night. And among the things he tweeted slash retweeted was the following. We really talked about this in the dorms freshman year. Fire emoji. So McLaurin is fired up that his guy Curtis Samuel is coming to Washington. But the point about Washington knowing Curtis Samuel is this. In free agency, what can happen, right, is you push across the table tens of millions of dollars to someone, and you're just kind of trusting that that someone is going to live up to that deal, you know, because that kind of money can be life-changing, and some people get paid, and then they get lost, you know, and they stop working, they stop trying. You know, when you sign a guy to a, you know, at least a decent money contract, you're not just signing the guy for his production and his ability, but you're also bringing him into your organization. How is he going to fit into your culture? How is he going to fit into your locker room? What kind of a guy are you getting? Well, you'll have those worries here with Curtis Samuel because, again, Ron Rivera, Scott Turner, Jim Hostler, Terry McLaurin, they know Curtis Samuel. This is not an Albert Hainsworth situation where you pay a bunch of big money to someone on whom you've done like zero due diligence and you're like, wait a second, he's a jerk? Wait a second. He's not trying? Wait a second. He's out of shape? It's like, no, you know exactly what you're getting in Curtis Samuel. So you have none of those concerns uh, with this signing of like, well, are we sure he fits in? Like, no, he fits in. They wouldn't be signing him if they didn't feel like he wouldn't be a good fit uh, for what the team is trying to establish. Curtis Samuel is coming off a very good 2020, a career best season in 2020. 77 receptions for 851 yards, three touchdowns on 97 targets over 15 games. So you're getting a guy who is rising. You're getting a guy who's coming off the best season of his career. You could argue, well, you know, you're buying high. Well, yeah, but that means the guy can play. And like we just outlined, it's not like you bought high in terms of the price he ended up paying. Curtis Samuel offers position flex. We know how Ron Rivera feels about position flex. He sung the praises of position flex last offseason. Never forget that. Curtis Samuel is a guy who, of course, is a receiver, i.e. a pass catcher. But Curtis Samuel, over his four seasons with the Panthers, had 72 carries for 478 yards 
and five touchdowns, 6.64 yards per carry. With Curtis Samuel, you can do the thing that, say, the San Francisco 49ers have done with Debo Samuel. You can deploy the pass catcher as a ball carrier. You know, all kinds of jet sweep action, which we already know Scott Turner likes to make usage of. Think about how Curtis Samuel could be utilized in that regard. Curtis Samuel isn't just a receiver. He is an offensive weapon to be deployed in a variety of ways. So it's not just catching balls that Curtis Samuel can impact Washington's offense in 2021. It's running with the football that Curtis Samuel can impact the offense. And like I said, I mean, it's not a tiny sample. Over four years, 72 carries, 6.64 yards per carry, and five touchdowns. Curtis Samuel is fast. What does Washington lack forever, right? Team speed, that's changing. Terry McLaurin is fast. Antonio Gibson is fast. And Curtis Samuel may well be the fastest of the bunch. Curtis Samuel at his 2017 combine ran a 4-3-140. For comparison's sake, Deshaun Jackson, who has been viewed for years as kind of like the gold standard of speed in the NFL, even though he's not the fastest guy in the NFL anymore. But, you know, for the longest while, he was like, wow, Deshaun Jackson, you know, ultra fast, lightning quick, that kind of a thing. Deshaun at his combine, the 2008 combine, ran a 4 3 Curtis Samuel ran a faster 40 than Deshaun Jackson did. 4-3-1 versus 4-3-5. McLaurin, by the way, at his combine, ran a 4-3-5-40. So you now have in your receiving core, Terry McLaurin with 4-3-5 speed, Curtis Samuel with 4-3-1 speed. You've gotten quicker. Big play capability. Explosive play capability. Washington has been so lacking in the explosive play in recent years. Curtis Samuel on board. McLaurin already there. Antonio Gibson already there. And potentially, and we'll see who ends up being the starting quarterback, but potentially Ryan Fitzpatrick as your quarterback. And what is Ryan Fitzpatrick known for, right? We talked about this. All you guys listening know this. Throwing them bombs, okay? Ryan Fitzpatrick is an aggressive downfield passer, the likes of which Washington has not had in a very long time. The capability here now for Washington to become a much better big play offense in 2021 is there, okay? Now, things got to play out properly. It's not just a given that this happens, but Ryan Fitzpatrick is an aggressive thrower of the football. Samuel's got speed. McLaurin's got speed. Gibson's got speed. You talk about the explosive play and what could be with that come the 2021 season. It's okay to get a little excited right now with the Washington football team in that regard, sharpfootballstats.com keeps track of something called explosive passing play rate, uh, defines an explosive passing play as a passing play for at least 15 yards. Washington this past regular season was 31st out of 32 NFL teams in explosive passing play rate at 6.15%. Next to last was our team in the 2020 regular season an explosive passing play rate, 6.15%. Washington, a mere 40 explosive passing plays over 650 total passing plays. For comparison's sake, the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they were sixth in the NFL in explosive passing play rate during the regular season. The Bucs during the regular season had 67 explosive passing plays. Washington during the regular season, again, 40 explosive passing plays. The Bucks did as you can do. Washington did things in a very anemic, impotent way when it came to the downfield passing game. 
the potential now very much exists for that to change, for that to be improved upon drastically coming up in the 2021 season. Curtis Samuel is a big part of that. And there's this too with Curtis Samuel. If you want to add a cherry on top of the Sunday here, the guy was used by the Panthers on kickoff returns in 2017 and 2018. We had the news recently, right, of Washington non-tendering Danny Johnson, the corner who has served as Washington's primary kickoff returner in two of the last three years. So if in fact you're trying to upgrade at kickoff returner, I don't know that you want to use Samuel given that you've given him this contract, but you can use Curtis Samuel uh, if you want to. You know, if there are concerns about Curtis Samuel, I mean, he does have a bit of an injury history. He missed the final seven games of his 2017 rookie season due to a left ankle injury that required surgery. Uh, he missed the first three games of the 2018 season reportedly due to needing to undergo a procedure to fix an irregular heartbeat. So, you know, that can be something you're like, okay, is this heart thing going to be an issue? But here's the thing, too, about Samuel, because Ron Rivera, Scott Turner, et al. know the guy. And remember, it's not just Ron, Scott, people like that. It's also Washington's head athletic trainer, Ryan Vermillion, who was with the Carolina Panthers for years. So, like, right there is another added bonus here of signing Curtis Samuel. Even with something like this heart issue, a guy like Ryan Vermillion, you would think, knows that well, having been with the Panthers for so long, having been with the Panthers during a good chunk of Samuel's time in Carolina. So Vermillion's going to have a good handle. Ron Rivera's going to have a good handle. Scott Turner's going to have a good handle on what this heart issue is to whatever extent it is an issue. So, you know, I don't really worry that much about that, but it is worth something uh, It is something worth noting. Uh, it, it is worth saying this too. Curtis Samuel had a very good 2020. It really was his first truly big season, like 27 through to 2019. He was okay, but he wasn't great. So you could say, all right, there's not like a substantial body of work in terms of big time production, but that's okay. You pay a guy in free agency for what he is going to do, not what he has done. And if you really believe that a guy is blossoming, Curtis Samuel is young enough to where he can have many years of production in front of him. He's a smaller guy, you know, and today's NFL, I don't get caught up in that. He's, he was listed by the Panthers as being 5'11", 195 pounds. Ask Tyreek Hill how much size matters in today's NFL if you've got blazing speed. And I know some people have brought this up that Curtis Samuel, he's not like your classic outside receiver. And that was kind of what Washington needed most at receiver. That's why like a lot of people would bring up Kenny Galladay. It's like Kenny Galladay would perfectly meet Washington's needs. Okay, but it's not like you can never deploy someone like Samuel on the outside. And you certainly can use him to dominate on the inside. Like, that's fine too. And if you have to use, say, some of your other slot guys that you used last season on the outside, J.D. McKissick, Antonio Gibson, etc., you can do that. It's not impossible. I don't get too caught up. I know some people love to get into, like, who's the X, who's the Y, who's the Z. To me, I don't really look at it that way. I mean, I understand why that's a conversation. But you just want weapons, okay? And if you're a good offensive staff, you figure out how to deploy your weapons. You figure out how to maximize your weapons, right? It's not about like, we have our system and you need to fit into our system. It's we have our talent. We do have some general principles that we like to abide by offensively. But by and large, we want to adapt what we do offensively to the talent we have. Samuel is a talent. Like I said, Samuel offers that position flex. I think there are many ways that you can use Curtis Samuel and get great production out of them. Look, Washington needed a true number two receiver. One of the lessons of the 2020 season was beyond Terry McLaurin, you do have some talent, but you don't have certainty. We all like Cam Sims. Washington is wanting to bring Cam Sims back. You know, there was the news on Tuesday that Washington had officially tendered a contract to Cam Sims, who's a restricted free agent now. Uh, but the tender, you got to uh, understand this with what happened with Cam Sims. It did get a lot of attention. There are various levels at which you can tender 
a restricted free agent to be. And the way it works with restricted free agency is the higher the level of the tender, the more the money for the player in the tender, and the more the compensation for the team should it not match an offer sheet that the guy signs as a restricted free agent. The tender that Washington gave to Cam Sims, offered to Cam, and he has not signed the tender yet, but the tender was what's called a right of first refusal tender, i.e. it is a low round tender for just $2.133 million. The tender tells you a lot. Washington likes Cam Sims and wants Cam Sims back, but Washington didn't tender him at like a first round level or something like that, okay? Washington kind of understands who he is, what he is, and what the market for him will be. Cam certainly had some big games in 2020, no doubt. The 23-20 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field in Week 9, Cam in that game, three catches for 110 yards on four targets. The 23-17 win at the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week 13, Cam in that game, five receptions for 92 yards on nine targets. Cam in the 31-23 loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wildcard game, seven catches for 104 yards on 13 targets. Had a beautiful chemistry going with Taylor Heineke, did Cam in that game. But Cam also was guilty of way too many drops in 2020. He's not a polished product. And to me, you can't go in the next season with him as your number two. Certainly have him as a part of your receiving core, but he's not a true two. Same thing with Steven Sims. Steven Sims had a very disappointing 2020. Missed four games due to a toe injury, but ultimately had just 27 catches over 12 games. He too was guilty of way too many drops. Again, I'm not saying get rid of these guys. Have the Sims guys back. But they're not true twos, at least not yet. Curtis Samuel is. Samuel and McLaurin, I think, are going to do some great things for Washington offensively in 2021 with whoever the quarterback ends up being. Got some more for you right now on the second of the big three free agent acquisitions for Washington in this week one of NFL free agency 2021. The corner, William Jackson III, WJ3. So we have some more details on the contract that he's getting from Washington. It turns out it's a three-year, $40.5 million deal, not a three-year, $42 million deal. Again, the devil always be in the details with these deals. So the contract has a max value of $42 million, but it is on the surface a three-year $40.5 million contract. So that means the average annual value, the AAV, is even lower than we thought. It's $13.5 million per season. That's not even in the top 10 in terms of AAVs for corners right now, uh, if you go by the data on overthecap.com. So it's an even better deal than we talked about on Wednesday's podcast. Uh, $26 million in guaranteed money, $16 million fully guaranteed at signing. Those are not unreasonable numbers given the contract. And how about the salary cap hits for Jackson? So for 2021, with the cap being lower than anticipated because of the pandemic, William Jackson has a mere salary cap hit of $6.656 million. That's it. Washington has structured this in a way to where the cap hit for 2021 isn't that bad. Now the cap hit does soar in the coming seasons, 2022, $16 million. 2023, $17.5 million, but the cap is expected to take off after this season. So those cap hits aren't going to be nearly as onerous as they seem right now. And understand this too, you're coming up on a time here where if you want to get out of, say, the Landon Collins contract, you can. You can't do it this offseason. You really, though, that uh, can start to think about that next offseason. So you may have some money coming off the books. We also don't know what's going to happen with Brandon Sheriff, right? Brandon Sheriff is a big matzo ball of a cap hit for 2021 once again right now, 18 plus million dollars. That's not going to be the case in 2022, okay? You ain't franchise tagging Brandon Sheriff for a third consecutive offseason 
At least I don't think. And the other one's a guard. That's right, Jay. He is a guard, and he ain't getting franchise tagged for a third consecutive offseason, right? Once was enough. Twice is too much. Three times would be absurd, okay? We're not doing that as a football team. I feel confident in saying that. But you are going to have the cap room to house these William Jackson the third salary cap hits in 2022 and beyond. Now, I think this is interesting with where Washington is at for the moment at corner. William Jackson the third, good money contract. Kendall Fuller, good money contract. This actually goes against the way Ron Rivera has done corner over the years. Overthecap.com is awesome. A lot of you know this already. But one of the features on Overthecap.com is this positional spending data that allows you to examine how a team has used its salary cap space over the years. Washington football team insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post did a great job looking into this. So the positional spending data only goes back to 2013. Uh, That was Ron Rivera's third season as Carolina Panthers head coach. But take a listen to what we have in terms of the Panthers' rankings in salary cap allocation for corners from 2013 through Ron's last season as Panthers head coach, 2019, okay? So we'll go from 13 moving forward. 32nd in the NFL, 32nd, 29th, 32nd, 27th, 24th, and 29th. Year in and year out, the Carolina Panthers were in like the bottom fifth of the NFL in terms of salary cap allocation for the cornerback position. Ron Rivera had a bunch of really good defenses with the Panthers, but his Panthers teams never spent big on corners. That's changing here with Washington. Washington is spending some decent money now on both Kendall Fuller and William Jackson, and who knows what else may be coming uh, in free agency. And of course, you can expand that out to where you're at at safety, right? Because you are spending big money for the moment anyway on landing Collins. So that, that is a departure from the way Ron had done the cornerback position previously. And of course, Ron was not in charge of player personnel with the Panthers. Uh, Marty Herney was for a lot of that time, obviously. And Marty is now here. But Ron, of course, now is presiding uh, over football operations with Washington. And, and you know, this maybe is something that he's, uh, well, clearly it's something he's wanting to do or okay with doing. But maybe it's something he always felt like, eh, we maybe could have done more with that. Uh, the Panthers were famous for kind of like building a corner up and then letting him leave. You know, it happened certainly with Josh Norman. It ended up happening with James Bradbury, although, you know, Bradbury left after Ron had been fired as Panthers head coach, but Bradbury obviously uh, thrived uh, with Ron during his time as Panthers head coach. And here it's like, no, Ron has actually become the guy who's paying cornerbacks big time money. So I think that's interesting. Uh, some more from Pro Football Focus regarding William Jackson and what Washington is getting in him. And this actually relates to Kendall Fuller as well. So you look at the overall body of work for William Jackson with the Bengals, right? Like, what are you getting in terms of this guy's abilities as a player? Corner is a position at which there's a lot of year-to-year fluctuation. And corners, some years they're good, some years they're not. Rare is the corner who every year kills it. William Jackson has been good, essentially, in three of his four seasons in terms of playing. Remember, he missed all of his rookie season, 2016, due to a torn pec. So you're looking at with Jackson 2017 2017 through 2020. Per pro football focus, there were 95 corners who each played at least 1,000 coverage snaps from 2017 to 2020, right? That's a good sample, 95 cornerbacks. Jackson's coverage grade during that span, 82.4. That ranks 17th out of the 95. Kendall Fuller's coverage grade during that span, 82.2, that ranks 18th during that span. So two guys in the top 20 in the NFL in terms of coverage grades 
among the 95 corners who've each played at least a thousand coverage snaps over the last four seasons. That's good. Like, and that I think is comforting where it's like, okay, this is what you're getting. No one is saying you're getting like two Jalen Ramseys here and Jackson and Fuller, but what you're getting are two B to B plus to maybe even A minus level corners, kind of depending on where you're at. Like Kendall Fuller early last season was really good. Performance did kind of tail off a bit as the season went on. That's true. But like by and large, Kendall Fuller had a good year one back with the Washington football team. He's not an elite corner, but he's on that next tier to me. You know, like he's not an A level guy, but to me, he's a B level guy. He can play at an A level, but you wouldn't say like he's consistently in that neighborhood. And that to me is William Jackson. He can play at an elite level. He didn't do that though in 2019. I don't think you look at him coming here and say to yourself, all right, he's going to be a dominant all pro level corner, but can he be again a B plus corner, a, 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 a part of a good to very good pass defense? I think the answer is definitely yes. He can be a part of that. He has been a part of that. He certainly played at that level over his career. And that's what you're getting here. Two guys, top 20 in the NFL over the last four years in terms of qualified corners and their coverage grades for pro football focus. So I thought that was a good nugget regarding what Washington has now in its top two corners with Jackson and Fuller. Now, to the concern that was out there quite a bit on Wednesday. So there was a decent amount made of William Jackson being a very good man coverage corner, but that perhaps not meshing well with Washington's defense which did play a lot of zone coverage in 2020. Zone coverage was something that Ron Rivera's Carolina Panthers defenses were known for. It's actually part of what helped to doom Josh Norman with Washington. Uh, and Norman was, uh, Norman definitely had a hand in his own demise, okay? But Josh Norman thrived with the Panthers as a zone corner. Josh Norman comes to Washington, gets asked to play a good amount of man corner. And what happens? He gets burned, especially over his last few years, it's not what he did well. It was never really what he did great. Well, take a listen to this regarding William Jackson for PFF. Jackson, over his four seasons of actually playing for the Bengals, a man coverage grade of 78.8, a zone coverage grade of 74.1. So at least in terms of the PFF data, and no, pro football focus is not gospel, all right? I always say that with pro football focus, but it's, it's certainly something you want to look at. And it's not something that should be disregarded. NFL teams understand this. Look at the pro football focus stuff. At least in terms of the PFF data, it's not like there's some drastic difference between William Jackson in man coverage versus William Jackson in zone coverage. Now, is he at his best in man coverage? Yes, probably. That's one of the things I really like about William Jackson. He's got length. He's got moxie. He's willing to get all up in it with people. That There is an alpha nature to William Jackson as a corner. That's, of course, always what you want. But the notion of like, if you put, if you put him in zone coverage, he's going to be lost. Like, no, actually the numbers tell you a much different story. And, and understand this too. It's not like, especially Jack Del Rio doesn't use man coverage. Uh, Jack Del Rio, in fact, during his time as Denver Broncos defensive coordinator, used man coverage quite a bit. Del Rio was the Broncos defensive coordinator from 2012 through 2014. And those Broncos defenses were terrific. Th- those Broncos defenses in terms of their rankings in total defense for football outsiders DVOA metric over those years fifth in the NFL in 2012 15th in 2013 fourth in the NFL in 2014 top five in two of the three years top 15 in all three of the years Del Rio did a very good job as Broncos defensive coordinator and he did that job playing man coverage 
quite a bit. The job of any defensive coordinator, the job of any coordinator, period, is to adapt to the talent that he has. It may well have been last season that Ron and Jack looked at the talent and said, okay, zone coverage is primarily the way to go in 2020. And so that's what Washington did. It's part of why Ronald Darby ended up having a very good 2020. And of course, Darby just got paid by, ironically enough, the Denver Broncos. But I don't think Del Rio and Ron go into the William Jackson situation, you know, with eyes shut and like, okay, we're just going to force a square peg into the round hole. I think it's, we know what he's good at. We feel like he can make us better. And we're going to use him to the best of his capabilities. And if it ends up being that Washington plays a bunch of zone coverage again in 2021, I don't think that's the end of the world. But I don't think you should just dismiss of, well, it's going to be nothing but zone with these guys. Like, no, they're going to adapt to the talent they have. At the very least, Ryan and Jack should adapt to the talent they have. Jack has made substantial usage of man coverage in the past. And I look at Jackson and Kendall Fuller and Jimmy Moreland, too. I think they're capable of playing man coverage. I don't I don't look at them and say to myself, like, oh, they got no shot in man coverage. You know, Cameron Curl actually did a nice job in man coverage as a 2020 season progressed. So I think, I just think people need to calm down a little bit about this man's own thing. And oh my God, William Jackson is not a fit in that regard. Do you think Ron and Jack didn't think about that? Do you think they don't know that? Like, do you think they're complete imbeciles and they're just, oh golly, gee, we just signed a guy who doesn't play well in zone coverage? Like, no, they thought about that. And yes, they've got a plan for how they want to make usage of Jackson and Fuller and Moreland and who knows who else is brought on board to that cornerback mix. You know, I mentioned Darby. One more thing on all this. I think this is something to keep in mind with Darby. So obviously, Washington allows him to leave for the Denver Broncos, reported three-year, $30 million contract, $19.5 million guaranteed. Uh, I was fine with this. I did want Darby back. I'm not going to be a phony about this. I, I, you know, had he been re-signed, I would have been happy with that. But he did get good money from the Broncos. Uh, Darby did not have a very good 2019 with the Philadelphia Eagles. He had a very hard time staying healthy with the Eagles over his three seasons with Philly. Darby, like we said, had a very good 2020 overall for Washington. But it's worth noting, and I don't know the extent to which this maybe played a role in Washington choosing not to pay Darby, but it's worth noting, Ronald Darby had issues in that super wildcard weekend loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Remember, Tom Brady carved up Washington in that game. That was a very disappointing game for Washington's defense. I thought the defense was going to rise to the occasion. The defense did not rise to the occasion. And Tom Brady, who finished with very good numbers for the game, would have had even better numbers if not for a bunch of drops in that game. But one of the guys who got picked on was Ronald Darby. Brady had that second quarter 27-yard touchdown pass to Godwin. Godwin beat Ronald Darby. Uh, Brady had a first quarter third and 10, 15-yard completion to Scotty Miller. Miller beat Darby. Darby got picked on a bit in that game. And I wonder if maybe that was kind of bucket of cold water that was poured on Ron and Jack when it came to Darby making them say, all right, we like them, but we don't love them. And if some team overwhelms them with an offer this offseason, we're not going to get in some, into some kind of bidding war for Ronald Darby. Just something to think about. Washington, to me, still has work to do at corner. You still need more depth at corner. But you got Fuller. You got Jackson. You got Moreland. You, of course, have got the horses along the defensive line. Still got work to do with linebacker, and the linebacker market has thinned out, right? Maybe the top two linebacker free agents to be never even made it to the market in Levante David and Matt Milano. There was a news on Wednesday night that Kyle Van Noy, a guy who I wanted Washington to be in on, is going back to the New England Patriots. So we got to figure out the linebacker spot 
But looking at what you've done at corner, looking at what you have at safety, even if you put Landon Collins off to the side, the very good seasons that Cameron Curl, DeShazer Everett, Jeremy Reeves ended up having. And of course, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Matt Ioannidis, Tim Settle. You like where Washington is at from a pass defense standpoint. All right, let's get to some odds and ends with the Washington football team in terms of the news of the last 24 hours or so. So there is another departure for Washington. Robert Foster is leaving Washington. He's agreed on a deal with the Miami Dolphins. Robert Foster was supposed to be a restricted free agent. Washington did not tender, though, Foster a contract. So that made him an unrestricted free agent, and he ends up going to the Dolphins. It's not a surprise that he's not coming back. Uh, Foster was a guy who was with Washington for a good chunk of the 2020 season, but he ended up having just two catches for 37 yards on six targets over four games. In fact, was inactive for five of Washington's final nine regular season games, and then for the playoff loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field. Washington signed Foster off the uh, Green Bay Packers practice squad this past October 22nd. Also on Wednesday, it was made official, the Washington football team officially announcing the re-signing of Dustin Hopkins, the kicker, uh, had been an unrestricted free agent. Remember, we had the news that came out on Sunday that Washington was expected to re-sign Hopkins. He has been brought back, and this is, in fact, the first official uh, item of news of the offseason that Washington put out there uh, as the new league year got going on Wednesday afternoon. So Dustin Hopkins, we talked about this on Monday's podcast, you know, 2020 dealt with a right groin injury, dealt with some struggles, no doubt. He missed one kick, a field goal attempt, or an extra point attempt in seven of Washington's first 10 games His job, certainly we thought, should be in jeopardy. It may well have been in jeopardy. Ron Rivera, after the 30-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 10, said, uh, this was the day after the game, said that the team was, quote, talking about and discussing, end quote, replacing Hopkins. Ron, though, stuck with Hopkins, and Hopkins was better as the season went on over Washington's final six games of the regular season. He went 13 of 14 on field goals, of having gone just 14 of 20 on field goals over the first 10 games, and Hopkins was big in that 23-17 win at the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week 13, 3-3 three three on field goals, all of which were lengthy, a 49-yarder, a 45-yarder, and another 45-yarder. He's been excellent on kickoffs over the years for Washington, too. With Hopkins, I think it's real simple. Yes, you can do better, and yes, he has had some big missed kicks, especially in the 2016 season, but you can do worse, and when you do worse, you get in real trouble. And so maybe he's not, you know, a Justin Tucker type, you know, a premier kicker in the NFL. But if you feel like he's better than average, he's better than what you otherwise feel like you probably would get from some guy off the streets. He does have a strong leg. Like I said, he's been very good when it comes to kickoffs over the years. You know, it's kind of like, all right, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. Um, It has been bizarre how Washington has been incredibly loyal to Dustin Hopkins. He will be going into a seventh season as Washington's primary kicker. Like, I mean, (laughs) the team just does not deviate from Dustin Hopkins, but I do get the thinking in bringing him back. Also on Wednesday, some sad news. Washington's longtime long snapper, Nick Sundberg, announced that he has been told that he is no longer in Washington's plan. Sundberg tweeted the following on Wednesday afternoon, quote, unfortunately, coach informed me that I'm not in the plans moving forward. I understand this is a business, but I'm still sad to close this long chapter with the Washington football team. I look forward to the next opportunity in my career, wherever that may be. See you on Sundays. End quote. Uh, Sunberg was here for a long while. He was Washington's long snapper for 11 seasons, 2010 through 2020. Washington originally signed Sunberg 
January 29th, 2010, to a reserve future contract. He was one of the first signings of the Mike Shanahan era. Nick Sundberg and Corey Lichtensteiger were two guys who Washington signed to reserve slash future contracts in January 2010 and ended up sticking. Sundberg ultimately replaced, remember, the red snapper, Ethan Albright. He was Washington's long snapper for nine years, 2001 to 2009. So Washington, 2001 through 2020, just two primary long snappers, Ethan Albright, Nick Sundberg. How about that? Two decades, just basically two guys as Washington's long snapper over those two decades. And I'll say this about Nick Sundberg. I mean, great dude. Everyone loved Nick Sundberg. Tough dude. And the thing to always keep in mind with Sundberg is what he did week one of the 2012 season. I will never forget this. It was that 40-32 win at the New Orleans Saints, right? The RG3 debut. Nick Sundberg in that game suffered a broken left arm and yet continued to play. Broke his left arm, but continued to play in the game continued to snap the football, one of the all-time displays of being a warrior in Washington football team history. Nick Sundberg doing that in that week one win at the Saints in 2012. So a salute to Nick Sundberg for his 11 seasons of service for the Washington football team. You can always email me, the Al Goldie podcast at yahoo.com. Got this email from Thomas Murphy. Al, ideas on why they let Sundberg go. Seemed like he was a good fit. I'm pretty sure many fans of the team would want to know. Yeah, I mean, my best guess would be Sunberg has been banged up a decent amount over the years, and maybe Washington just feels like it can do better and go younger at that long snapper spot. But, you know, long snapper is one of those thankless jobs, and it's like you have a guy, and you rely on him, and then you never notice him, and you probably never compliment him, but then when the next guy comes in and he screws things up, you notice that guy. You know, and, and you recognize what you had in the previous guy. So it's like, if you want to move on from Nick Sundberg, fine. I'm not going to do a whole spiel on, oh my God, why are they letting Nick Sundberg go? But there is a reliability and a consistency with someone like this where you're kind of like, uh, all right, I mean, go ahead and move on from him. But, you know, just hopefully the guy you get is as reliable and uh, is someone you can count on the way Washington was able to count on Nick Sundberg uh, for so long. But he did a lot of charity work. People had nothing but good things to say about Nick Sundberg. And like I said, broken left arm continued to play in a big Washington win at the Saints in week one of 2012. There are two guys who Washington is bringing back. We learned of that on Wednesday. One of them, running back Lamar Miller, has agreed to re-sign with Washington for multiple reports. I was actually surprised by this. Uh, so Lamar Miller, Washington signed him to its active roster from the Chicago Bears practice squad last December, but he ended up never playing for Washington. He ended up being inactive for Washington's final three regular season games and for the playoff loss to the Bucs. He's going into his age 30 season. Lamar Miller was a very productive running back for a while. I mean, those of you, especially who play fantasy football, probably know this. He was taken in the fourth round by the Miami Dolphins in the 2012 draft out of Miami. Over seven seasons with the Dolphins, 2012 through 2015, and the Houston Texans, 2016 to 2018, Lamar Miller averaged 4.3 yards per carry, totaled more than 7,400 yards from scrimmage, and 40 rushing and receiving touchdowns. Like, the guy's been a producer at the NFL level, never actually ended up playing for Washington. You would think he would look at the situation and say, all right, Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, probably Washington is going to sign or draft somebody, but Miller is coming back to Washington. So, I don't know, maybe he's been told he's got more of an opportunity uh, than we saw down the stretch of the 2020 season. And then we also had multiple reports on Wednesday that Washington is re-signing offensive tackle David Sharp. Uh, he, like Miller, 
had been an unrestricted free agent. Uh, David Sharp going into his age 26 season. Washington actually traded for David Sharp going into the 2020 season. Got him via trade with the Las Vegas Raiders last September 1st. Washington got Sharp and a 2021 seventh round draft choice from the Raiders for a 2021 sixth round draft choice. And remember, it was David Sharp who started two games for Washington last season at right tackle when Cornelius Lucas got hurt. Uh, Cornelius Lucas was inactive for two straight games due to an ankle injury that was suffered in that 30-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 10. Remember what Washington did. Lucas, of course, had been the left tackle. Washington slid Morgan Moses from right tackle to left tackle and put David Sharp at right tackle. So some offensive line depth being brought back for whatever it's worth. And, you know, I don't think Sharp killed it at right tackle. But Washington did win the two games uh, with Sharp at right tackle. That 29 win over the Cincinnati Bengals at FedEx Field in Week 11, the 41-16 blowout win at the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving. Of course, each team's quarterback situation had a lot to do with Washington winning those games, right? In the Bengals game, Joe Burrow getting hurt, Ryan Finley coming in, and in the Cowboys game, not just Andy Dalton being at quarterback for the Cowboys, but the Cowboys' offensive line being ravaged for that game. Remember, Dallas lost its two starting offensive tackles to injury on the first offensive drive of the game for the Cowboys. Cameron Irving, the left tackle, Zach Martin, the right tackle. And that was with the Cowboys' true starting offensive tackles. Tyron Smith, the left tackle, Lyle Collins, a right tackle, long since having been placed on the team's injured reserve list. So there was a lot that went in Washington's favor uh, in that Thanksgiving win at Dallas. But Washington dominated, no doubt, and uh, David Sharp was the right tackle for that game. So how about what came out regarding our pal, our friend, Trent Williams, on Wednesday morning? The news that the former Washington football team left tackle had agreed to re-sign with the San Francisco 49ers. The contract, a whopper, a six-year, $138.06 million contract that includes $55.1 million and guaranteed money. His agency actually put out the terms of the contract. Trent has gotten paid. He has gotten paid big. And hats off to Trent. This is now three mega money contracts that Trent has gotten in his NFL career. Remember, Washington took him with the number four pick in the 2010 draft. That was the last draft class for which there was not the rookie wage scale that came on board in 2011 and really has changed the game in the NFL in terms of teams no longer having to pay massive money to rookies. I mean, it really has transformed the way roster construction is done in the NFL. Trent was a part of that final non-rookie wage scale draft class, and Trent got a huge deal. Six-year, $60 million contract that included $36.75 million in guaranteed money. Oh, by the way, uh, Trent signed that contract after a brief holdout in training camp in 2010. Then came his contract extension with Washington. August 2015, Washington signed Trent to a five-year $66 million extension that included $30 million guaranteed at signing. The extension made Trent the highest paid offensive tackle in NFL history. I mean, we'll see how much of this contract Trent actually ends up getting, but has any offensive lineman ever been paid as much as Trent has? The guy has made a boatload in his NFL career. And I say that in an admiring fashion. I don't say that to put the guy down. I say that as, wow, uh, that's incredible. He's got to be the highest paid offensive lineman ever in terms of like most money accrued, right? What other 
offensive lineman has made the kind of money that Trent Williams now is poised to end up having. Like, whose career earnings top Trent's at this point, given what he's getting now with his contract and re-signing with the 49ers? So Trent had a very good 2020 for San Francisco. Uh, played in 14 games, because as we know, Trent can never play in 16 games. Uh, registered, registered an overall grade for Pro Football Focus of 91.9. That's spectacular. Uh, for PFF, Trent allowed just 19 pressures the entire season. He did it. He had an excellent 2020 of not having played for the entire 2019 season. And so to this, I would say a few things. Number one, I just kind of said it, but good for Trent for getting paid. I want athletes to make as much money as they can. I'm not one of these people who's like, you know, uh, doesn't like it that athletes make big money. Like, no, NFL football is a huge billion dollar business. The athletes, the players deserve to get paid. If Trent can get himself paid again, more power to him. But I want to push back on something that really became a thing, especially on social media on Wednesday. And that was that like Trent getting this contract somehow sticks it to Bruce Allen or maybe even sticks it to the Washington football team. Far be it from me to defend old Brucifer. But when it comes to the Trent Williams saga with Washington, what Bruce will always deserve venom for is not trading Trent, okay? Especially not trading him prior to the 2019 NFL trade deadline. That was and remains player personnel malpractice of the highest order. But what Bruce does not deserve venom for, does not deserve criticism for, was standing up to Trent Williams. Because the stunt that Trent pulled with Washington was a bunch of crap, okay? And this thing of like, oh, Trent got paid. He showed them he won. He got paid and good for him. Like I said, I I don't like hold that against him. But I don't know how you as a Washington football team fan can ever forget what went down here. There are three things to always remember about the Trent saga with Washington. And we're not gonna rehash everything here right now, okay? But there are three things to always remember. Number one, Trent is one of the greatest offensive tackles and toughest players in Washington football team history. That is true. He's on the short list of the greatest offensive linemen in team history. He's on the short list of the greatest offensive tackles in team history. I wouldn't put him number one. I'd put Joe Jacoby number one, but he may well be number two. Like, you know, to to me, the four guys to talk about are Jacoby, Trent, Chris Samuels, and Jim Lachey. And you could basically put him in whatever order you want. I would go Jacoby one. But I would probably go Trent too, because Lachey, as great as he was, missed a lot of time due to injury and wasn't here that long. And Samuels was good, but I don't think he was as good as Trent, you know, but but it's a conversation anyway. But you get the idea. Trent is on that short list. He was tough as nails. He played through a lot of injury. All of that should never be forgotten. Second thing to remember is what we just said. Bruce Allen not trading Trent prior to that 2019 season or and certainly prior to the 2019 NFL trade deadline. Malpractice of the highest order. It means you're close. Yes, I know, Bruce. You thought you were close. It turned out you weren't close. You went three and 13 in 2019, but that should never be forgotten. But point number three with the Trent saga with Washington is Trent during the whole ordeal totally overplayed his hand, wrecked his credibility, and got exposed as being not nearly as valuable as he and his agent, Vincent Taylor, who by the way is no longer Trent's agent, thought that Trent was. Trent lied. Trent misrepresented. Trent tried to play the sympathy card of the cancer scare. And nobody uh, is, you know, happy that he had to deal with the cancer scare for sure. 
but he tried to parlay that into another payday from a team that had already paid him hundreds of millions of dollars and that had already given him, like we just outlined, two massive contracts. The idea that Trent was underpaid or had been done wrong financially was ridiculous, especially when you factored in all of the time that he had missed. Trent Williams, over his last three seasons with Washington, played in just 35 of a possible 48 games due to suspension and injury. I'm talking 2016 through 2018. I'm not even counting 2019 when he sat out. The guy missed 13 games over three years, got hurt a bunch, okay? And he played through a lot of injury, yes, but he got suspended. Remember, you're trying to make a playoff push in 2016. This guy gets suspended for a second time because he's not posting for his marijuana tests, okay? And the team stood by him and defended him and, you know, never tried to put him down or anything like that. And he has the gall to start saying, well, I'm owed more guaranteed money. And well, well, I'm underpaid. Get out of here, dude. Get out of here. And then he starts telling lies. I mean, don't forget that. When Trent finally broke his silence on Halloween 2019, the day after the Washington Nationals won the World Series, remember the whole spiel he gave about how during his time in a Chicago hospital, nobody from the Washington football team came to visit him? And then it totally got revealed that uh, actually the head athletic trainer at the time, Larry Hess, spent like a week with Trent in Chicago. Hmm. Trent didn't even mention that. You know, we, we had what went down in the hours leading up to Trent finally being traded. If you remember, it was day two of the 2020 draft. There was a report that came out the night before from Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, NFL.com, that a potential trade of Trent to the Minnesota Vikings had been nixed by Trent himself. The next morning, and I'll never forget this, there was an article co-authored by John Keim, the ESPN Washington football team insider, and Courtney Cronin, the ESPN Vikings insider. In the uh, article, Trent denied that he had nixed a potential trade of the Vikings. Quote, no, that's not true. But also in the same article, this is the best part, in the same article, Kime and Cronin denied Trent's denial. Quote, sources confirmed to ESPN that the potential trade partners were informed at some point Friday that Williams did not want to play for the Vikings, as was first reported by NFL Network, end quote. So not even the authors of an article for which Trent provided an on-the-record quote Not even those authors were willing to believe Trent. And in that article, those authors disputed something that Trent said. That's how much of a liar he and his camp ended up being with this whole ordeal. So like, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and go, wow, Trent, you stuck it to Bruce. Yay, you won. You got all this big money. Like, good for him. I'm happy he got it. I hope he stays healthy. I'm not, you know, I don't wish ill on him or anything like that, but I'm not going to do some victory lap. I'm not going to do the Deion Sanders high-stepping over Trent getting this contract. I'm sorry. Like, no, I'm not doing that. He acted without honor over his final year with the Washington football team. And remember, he would also do the thing of, he would rip Bruce, he would rip the training staff, but he was always making a point to praise Dan Snyder, right? Remember he would do that? Trent would always make it a point to praise Danny because he still wanted to get paid by Danny. He still wanted, Trent did that next contract from the Danny. And Trent also very much wants to be eventually in the Washington football team's ring of fame at FedEx Field. So it's like, he still would make it a point to say that because that's what it was about. It was about the money. It was never about, oh, you know, they did me wrong medically and I never want to be a part of this team. He wasn't happy about that. But, you know, he could have gotten himself a second opinion. He could have handled that situation better on his end. I'm glad he came out of it okay. I'm glad he had a good season. I'm glad he got paid. Like, I'm not angry about that. But spare me the, oh, Trent, you did it. And, oh, Trent, you showed Bruce. No, 
Trent, you left in a very ugly and dishonorable way. And it's a shame because it never had to be that way. All right. Speaking of things that are a shame, our Wizards. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes. Thank you, Stephen A. Our Wizards, another loss on Wednesday night. Wizfall to 14 and 25, a 121-119 loss to the Sacramento Kings at Capital One Arena. That's now seven losses in eight games for the Wizards. And this latest loss coming to a Kings team that came into the game a mere 15 and 24 on the year. Game was tied in the third quarter at 70. Wizards and allowed the Kings to go on a 21-10 run. Wizards, to their credit, did overcome a 10-point fourth quarter deficit. Uh, Wizards were down 108-98, went on a 21-11 run, tied the game at 119. But the Wizards giving up the game-winning 19-foot pull-up jumper to De'Aaron Fox with seven-tenths of a second left. And Bradley Beal right in Fox's face. That was not a good moment for Beal. I mean, look, he did what he could defensively, I guess. But Fox nailed that over Beal. And then Russell Westbrook, an out-of-bounds bad pass turnover to seal the deal for the Wizards. Wizards were horrendous on threes on Wednesday night, 425. Actually held the Kings to 10 of 33 on threes, but that doesn't do you much good when you go again, four of 25 on threes. Wizards had 15 turnovers, the Kings eight. Uh, Wizards losses by killing the Kings on the glass, 52-38. But going back to the missed threes, so Beal. Look, Bradley Beal's a very good player. No one's going to tell you otherwise. But Bradley Beal goes 0 of 5 on threes on Wednesday night. Bradley Beal, as we speak on this Thursday, is shooting 32.9% on threes this season. We've talked about this, but this really is a hole in Beal's game. If you're going to talk about the guy as being this premier elite level scorer, and he is leading the NBA in points per game, so like you do have to say he is an elite scorer, but man, uh, can you be better on threes? Like that's a big part of today's NBA. I know, I know people love to diminish that and say, oh, you know, uh, basketball was so much better without all these teams taking all these threes. I don't really view it that way, but if you want to view it that way, fine. But understand, this is the way the NBA is played right now. So if you're not good on threes, that's a problem. And Beal, for whatever reason, is not doing well on his threes this season. 32.9% of 5 on Wednesday night. Now, again, he does come through in other ways. 12 of 15 was Beal on his twos. He finished with 29.6 rebounds and five assists versus four turnovers. But the 0 of 5 on threes thing, I know that's what stuck out to me as much as anything. Uh, Russell Westbrook did not have a, a very efficient night shooting. 1 of 3 on threes, 7 of 16 on twos, 9 of 12 on free throws. Did also have six turnovers, but he also had another triple-double. That's now 12 triple-doubles for Westbrook in his 32 games with the Wizards. He's already three away from tying Daryl Walker for the Bullets-slash-Wizards all-time lead in career regular season triple-doubles with 15. Westbrook, in, what, 40 games here, could end up tying Walker for the franchise record for career regular season triple-doubles. Westbrook on Wednesday night, 26 points, 14 rebounds. 10 assists, and I give Westbrook credit because he was huge in that fourth quarter. Wizards won it 26-19, like I said, got the game to being tied at 119, and Westbrook was a big part of that uh, in that fourth quarter, 13 points on 4-7 shooting and 6 rebounds. Another good game, too, for Rui Hachimura, 0-3 on threes, but 7-12 on two, 17 points, 9 rebounds, and 2 steals. But how about this with the Wizards, okay? Davies Bertans, who I've been hard on, I think justifiably so. He's been a bust so far this year. Gets re-signed to the six-year, $80 million contract in the offseason. I advocated for that. I'm not going to be a phony about that. I wanted the Wizards very much to re-sign Bertans. Comes into the season, talks about how his conditioning is only at 60 
He's dealt with some minor ailments, that is true, but he has not been anywhere close to what he was last season in terms of his three-point shooting efficiency. Just two of eight on threes on Wednesday night, just six points in 23-plus minutes off the bench for Bertans on Wednesday night. And and take a listen to this, and this is just telling us anything with Bertans this year. Seven-tenths of a second left, Wizards down by two, 121-119. Scott Brooks did not have Bertans on the floor. I mean, how about that? How about that as an indictment of the season that Bertans is having? That Brooks doesn't even have the guy who's supposed to be the team's best three-point shooter, the guy whose nickname is the Latvian Laser, the guy who, again, got $80 million via being re-signed in the offseason. That guy's not even on the floor with the Wizards down by two to a lowly Sacramento Kings team with seven-tenths of a second left. Uh, it's bad right now. The, the Wizards are completely plummeting. You know, Brooks has tinkered with the lineup here lately. Alex Len continues to start over Mo Wagner, who's back to being buried by Brooks. Wagner at DNPCD for a third straight game. Len actually played well on Wednesday night. 13 points, 5 of 7 shooting, 12 rebounds, including four offensive boards and three assists versus two turnovers. But the Wizards are sinking. You know, the schedule has stiffened here and the Wizards have totally gotten exposed. And then on Wednesday night, the schedule softens and you still continue to get exposed. Five consecutive losses now for the Wizards. At the Memphis Grizzlies, home to the Philadelphia 76ers, home to the Milwaukee Bucks, home to the Milwaukee Bucks, and now home to the Sacramento Kings. I mean, it's one thing to get ripped by the Grizzlies and the Sixers and the Bucks. It's another thing to, you're at home, you're struggling here, you're scuffling here, and you can't get the job done against the Kings. The Wizards now have the third worst record in the Eastern Conference, are five games behind the New York Knicks for eighth in the East. And oh, by the way, guess what is next for the Wizards? Home to the best team in the NBA, the league-leading Utah Jazz, Thursday night at 7. Utah is 29-10, and 10, though it has lost 4-7. And, you know, knowing the Wizards, watch them beat the Jazz on Thursday night. Like, that is such a typical Wizards thing to do. Second game of a back-to-back, a spot in which, by the way, the Wizards have actually been pretty good over the last few years. But you lose at home to the lowly Kings in game one of the back-to-back. And then you beat the NBA-leading Jazz in the second game of the back-to-back. That, that's actually like typical Washington Wizards. So I fully expect them to beat the Jazz on Thursday night. But that doesn't change what we're seeing. A season that at first looked lost, then became exciting, now seemingly is back to being lost again. The damn Washington Wizards! Let's get to some baseball here before we call it a podcast for this Thursday. An off day for the Nationals at spring training on Wednesday. Not so, though, for the Orioles. Orioles had a 5-2 win over the Atlanta Braves in a Grapefruit League game on Wednesday evening. And a couple of things to be mindful of here if you're an O's fan from that game. So number one, John Means made his fourth start of the exhibition season and look good again. Uh, Means one run in four innings on four strikeouts versus two hits and no walks. This off what he did last Friday afternoon in a 6-2 loss to the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, one run in four innings, four strikeouts versus two hits and a walk. So John Means, who everyone thinks is going to be the Orioles opening game starter, rounding into form. You know, Means is an interesting guy because he's not one of these prospects along the lines of a Dean Kramer or a Keegan Aiken. But he is someone who's been good for the Orioles over the last few years here. I mean, he's been their best starting pitcher over the last two seasons. I mean, it's not saying a lot, okay? I understand that. Uh, we are long removed from the days of Jim Palmer, Dave McNally, Mike Cuellar, and Pat Dobson, all right? But uh, John Means, he was the Orioles' lone American League All-Star in 2019. And even last season, he had a, a league average ERA plus of 100 over 10 starts. He is, though, one of these, you know, older guys who doesn't figure to be uh, still good for you by the time the O's get good again. So I would drop John Means into that category of if you can flip him, do so. If you can trade him, 
for more prospects do so. Oz took him in the 11th round of the 2014 draft. He's going into his age 28 season. Uh, but he's someone who, you know, like in that 2019 season, that all-star season, he had a 130 ERA plus over 155 innings. Like he actually was quite good that year. He had a war per baseball reference of 4.8, which is really good. So means is capable. And if he's back to that 2019 level in 2021, I think you probably can get something decent for him. Uh, by the trade market. So, you know, you, you want the guy to do well for that purpose, right? There is a much bigger picture uh, when it comes to being an Orioles fan right now than just the upcoming season. The other thing about the uh, exhibition game on Wednesday evening uh, for the Orioles was the game that Austin Hayes had. Austin Hayes had two doubles into single, finished with two runs batted in. Austin Hayes, as we speak on this Thursday, is batting 370 this exhibition season a 433 on base percentage this exhibition season, a 667 slugging percentage this exhibition season. It's been outstanding. 10 of 27 with two homers, two doubles, and two walks. Austin Hayes was taken by the O's in the third round of the 2016 draft. He's going into just his age 25 season. He last season over 134 major league plate appearances, uh, only slashed 279, 328, 393. But he was good defensively. Like the Orioles, they have a bunch of these position player prospects, especially guys who are outfielders. You know, people like Heston Kerstad, the O's took with the number two overall pick in the 2020 draft. Uh, DJ Stewart, you know, even Ryan Mountcastle can qualify as an outfielder, although he's probably best suited to play first base. Hayes may be the worst of the bunch in terms of his batting. You know, we'll see what time tells in that regard. But he may well be the best defensively. Uh, Austin Hayes, plus four defensive runs saved in 274 innings in the outfield in 2020. Uh, and great to see him batting as he has so far this exhibition season. But that's the thing, right? I mean, Austin Hayes, Adley Rutschman, Heston Kerstad, Ryan Mountcastle, DJ Stewart. You know, you can even throw Anthony Santander into that mix. The young position players, you know, that next generation, hopefully, of quality Orioles is what you're focusing on a lot of the time here these days. And uh, nice to see a guy like Austin Hayes doing as he has been doing. All right, another big splash by the Washington football team in free agency on Wednesday night off Ryan Fitzpatrick and William Jackson III. We get Curtis Samuel. You tell me what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Continue to spread the word, subscribe, rate, review, let people know. The Al Galdi podcast is a thing. Every weekday, we are with you out by 5 a.m. talking DC sports. Got lots of good stuff for you planned for Friday's show. And who knows what may break in the next installment of Late Night with Ron Rivera on Thursday night. Have a great rest of your Thursday. I'll talk to you on Friday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to buyoptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.